Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom. The 1970s and 80s are what made George Lucas a household name. But with great fame comes great responsibility. And for George, that meant a lot of decisions and jobs to do. This period saw Lucas reach his highest highs and confront some of his biggest challenges. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I am your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to part two of our By George series. This is where we're going to be talking all about Star Wars and Indiana Jones and Captain EO, <laughs> which I'm really EO's excited. Like, totally the random outlier in this, but I feel like I'm just really excited to even mention it in a conversation. <laughs> right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so true. But, um, oh, my God. <laughs> we can't even talk about George Lucas without talking about the fact that Star Wars, The Clone Wars, is coming back. I know. It's so exciting. So we're recording this on Thursday, July 19th, 2018. And I'm saying that for the record because I feel like this is such a big day. <laughs> As you guys know, like, Caitlin and I's fandom, like, my, I've been a Star Wars fan for my entire life, it feels like, right? But yeah. My fandom didn't really, like, come to fruition until Revenge of the Sith, and then it felt like Star Wars was dead. And then when Clone Wars came back, it was like, what, Clone Wars came back? When Clone Wars existed, it was like, oh my god, now I have something excited. And then you you were able to be a part of that as well, and it was well, like... yeah, it was, it was something brand new that we could experience for the first time together as Star Wars fans. Exactly. And it, so it's like, it's so meaningful to both of us, Clone Wars is. And not, I, I, you guys know I love the prequels. Like, it just makes so much sense for us to love Clone Wars. Oh and now it's back. Caitlin loves Dave Filoni. Like, you know, you guys know that this is you know. <laughs> a huge deal for us. I, we, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago about the possibility of Clone Wars coming back. And I'm sure we've dropped it in other episodes in the past of like, people just need to like move on because it's not going to happen. Like that was Cartoon Network show. Of course, Disney was going to can't like for us, it just made sense um, for Clone Wars to have been canceled when it did as much as it we didn't like it. It made sense like from a business standpoint. And so I don't think I would have ever thought that it was coming back like this, that we are going to get to see the Siege of Mandalore. I am just, I'm beside myself. I'm so excited. I mean, Anakin and Ahsoka, those moments, I live for that angst and I can't <laughs> wait. The trailer, the end of the, if you haven't seen the trailer, you need to pause right now and go watch the trailer. But the end of the trailer with Anakin with a, with his Revenge of the Sith hair and he sees Ahsoka and you just see his face like, oh, my damn, it's the best thing in the world. <laughs> it's so good. I didn't even it's really notice Bo-Katan there until recently. Because, <laughs> like, I've been so focused <laughs> on Anakin and Ahsoka and, like, that moment. It's so funny. Beautiful. I First off, the animation looks amazing it looks different and i think that's maybe just getting used to the new character molds but it looks amazing 
Um, like the backgrounds all look incredible. Their costumes, the hair. I mean, the funny thing is with Clone Wars, it's like Charlotte and I decided that like suddenly we were into animation. Like once Clone Wars started coming out, <laughs> so true. And we because <laughs> we would watch all the behind the scenes, obviously with like Dave and and you know everyone at um working on it. And you know, I remember just throughout the years them talking about the difficulties of hair. And then like when you and I saw Rapunzel, we were like. Or tangled, we were like, oh man, they must have had a huge budget for all that hair. Like, <laughs> we knew like, something. Oh, man. Each strand, <laughs> each strand individually animated. Wow. Like, if Clone Wars had that kind of budget, they could do that, but they don't because they have restrictions because it's a TV series. Like, we just like thought we knew all this stuff, and like, this is how they like layer in all the elements for the background. Or, like, water is so difficult. Yeah, water is so hard. <laughs> I remember them having this whole featurette about Padme's hair and why she had that like weird moose hairstyle for so long because it was just like so hard. <laughs> I mean, do I can anything imagine. else? You know, I saw someone tweet that you know, Anakin and Obi Wan are wearing like Jedi robes, and someone was like, "Oh my god, they have a cloth budget." <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yes, they do. They have a cloth budget. <laughs> so great. <laughs> And it's just so exciting. Caitlin and I actually haven't, like, talked one-on-one about it. We've been texting about this. And our friend Savannah, like, we've had a group chat on text, like, going for a couple weeks about, like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Is Is it it happening? happening? Yeah. Like, (laughs) Like, we don't want to get our hopes up. I know. we have a feeling. People (laughs) who were live tweeting that panel, like, sent me on such a roller coaster of emotions. Like, going back through the text stream, I'm either – like, yes, something is happening, or like, no, I hate everything. Like, there was no in between. It was like one tweet could just send me off the edge or like bring me to the next high. <laughs> and honestly, guys, I don't know how we're going to get through this episode about George Lucas because all we want to do is talk about Clone Wars. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because next episode in our third part, we'll talk about Clone Wars because it really is such a you know, pivotal creation Mm -hmm. for George Lucas. And it was like basically self-funded by him. And I I think that it's really important for us to talk about that. But unfortunately, we're not in that part yet. I know. (laughs) I wish we were. I know. we. I do too. But it would have been such good timing. Rest assured, we will not not talk about Clone Wars on the show. Like, I think that right after we're done with this, we're going to do a couple of Clone Wars episodes. Like, we're so hyped and we're excited to revisit Clone Wars and talk about it and its meaningful place within the saga because it's just so awesome. And you guys, if you haven't watched the Clone Wars, and I know we have a lot of listeners who haven't, I I can't recommend it enough. I think that it's it's wonderfully weird. It's dark. It's darker than Rebels. Mm-hmm. And it expands the saga so much, especially the prequels. If you guys are even dubious about the prequels, I say revisit, revisit, visit mm-hmm. some of those arcs in the Clone Wars and try to understand a little bit more. And it's just so complicated. It's it's amazing. I can wax poetic about it forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. It definitely is something if you're not used, if you didn't watch Clone Wars, you didn't watch Rebels, it is definitely a step. Like you have to, I don't know, kind of. Um, acclimate yourself to watching animation, especially Star Wars animation, um, because like the characters do, like Anakin does act a little bit differently in the Clone Wars than he does in the films, and yeah. that's there for a reason, and obviously it's a different voice actor, and 
um, you know, Ahsoka doesn't exist in the films. And I think there is, I understand a lot of hesitation from certain people about not wanting that or not being as into that. But um, once I feel like you kind of get over that hump, you just like you accept it and you love it and it's your child and <laughs> and i will say i do think that clone wars gets so strong in like the third or fourth season mm-hmm. and Definitely. obviously that takes a lot of getting used to and a lot of watch time before you get to that point where it's like yeah. oh my god the series is so good mm-hmm. I don't think – I don't even think anyone at Lucasfilm would be like, oh, yeah, the Clone Wars movie in season one are, like, real good. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone would be like, that's the best part of Clone Wars. No. Yeah. There are some – like, the, the the season one of Clone Wars is – they're working on it. It's you a know ride. what I mean? It's a yeah. process. And, but it, it, like, so matches, like, George because they were doing a lot of the development of that kind of animation – um, to be able to do that kind of level of animation on an episodic TV series as opposed to like an animated film. And so they're working on a lot of that kinks and you see them work on it throughout the seasons. And it's really cool to see how it progressively gets better, um, both in like an animation um, perspective and then also just for the characters and the journeys that they're going on. I will say season one has a lot of fun episodes that I think are really funny. <laughs> yeah. So – but, but, overall, but I love Clone Wars, so yeah, of course yeah, I'm going to love it all. Clone Wars was a, a little experiment, I think, from Lucasfilm initially to see if they could, you know, sell really meaningful storylines through animation and make it work and expand their own saga. And, and I could. think it, it was a, a huge success, obviously. And mm-hmm. we'll talk about it later, I promise, I promise. But right now we're here to talk about George Lucas and the Star Wars and Indiana Jones years and... Before we get started, I just, uh, you know, Caitlin mentioned that we're going to be talking about Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and Captain EO, um, and those are the kind of core films that we're focusing on, and as we did in the last episode, we have picked three themes. So in part one, we're going to be talking about the theme of success. And in part two, we're going to be talking about the theme of independence. And in part three, we're going to be talking about the theme of oversaturation. And without further ado, let's get started. No matter how easy it looks on the outside, um, it is a very, very difficult struggle. Um, Most people, you know, you you don't see the struggle part of a person's life. You only see the success they have. Um, But I haven't met anybody here at the Academy or anywhere else that hasn't been able to describe years and years and years of very, very difficult struggle through the whole process of, of... you know, achieving anything whatsoever. So, um, and there's no way to sort of get around that. And uh, it, the secret is just not to give up hope. And it's very hard not to, because if you're really doing something worthwhile, I think um, I think you will be pushed to the brink of hopelessness before you come through the other side. And you just somehow have to hang in through that. I've been much more down in my life than I've had up and much more struggle. Part one, success. Now we get to the part of George's life that most of the fans know about, Star Wars. Despite success from American Graffiti, getting Star Wars made was no easy feat. George was turned down from many studios, all but one, 20th Century Fox. With their approval, it was off to the races. By this point, George had created his own production company, Lucasfilm Limited, in his attempt to have the most control possible over his films. Star Wars was rife with production woes, over budget, over time, 
effects failures, doubtful actors, doubtful studios. It was problem after problem. When Star Wars opened in 1977, it surprised everybody. It was thrilling, new, refreshing. It broke box office records, becoming the highest grossing film of all time at the time. George, never a fan of critics or pandemonium, took a vacation with his wife Marcia to Hawaii when Star Wars was first released. A friend, Steven Spielberg, and his girlfriend at the time joined them, and it was there that George told Steven about an idea in the back of his head, all about an archaeologist adventurer named Indiana Smith. The rest is history. Sequels, ups and downs, and frustrations, peaks and valleys. George found himself at a state of exhaustion, facing divorce, that he decided to take a directing hiatus. In a lot of ways, ever obsessed with control, George became an over-the-top producer, standing over Richard Marquand's shoulder during Return of the Jedi, spending the night on the sets of the Temple of Doom. George could never truly quit his passion, even if it was for his good health. Okay, so we are in kind of the motherload of George Lucas's life, I feel like, going through this, <laughs> like, the I can't. When I think about the more I read about this time period in George's life and trying to like understand it, I just I can't fathom the pressure. And knowing all of the criticisms that have been leveled at George Lucas both now and in the past, it's still amazing to me that all of this was successful. <laughs> I know. And so I think it's funny kind of tracking, especially through like 1975 and 1976, like what exactly it was that made Star Wars successful? Like what is this George Lucas secret sauce? (laughs) I mean, I really think it all comes down to like all these different pieces working perfectly together. And it's something that we've talked about on the show before about, you know, George like being so adamant about having a classical score and choosing John Williams. Um, George being like extremely adamant to do visual effects and try these new things and like basically invent the process and like inventing the wheel essentially of how Mm -hmm. to do these special effects and then you have like these classical elements of mythology which obviously George kind of had pulled from from his own experience his like his watching of films his love of like pulp pulp fiction basically right but Mm -hmm. also his education in anthropology and understanding like that sort of lore Um, I think that it's all these things coming together that made, and also like the tide of the time period. And obviously, Caitlin and I are very young, uh, 20, we're both 25 at this point, right? Right. Um, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) You just uh, turned 25. I'm about to turn 26. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) um, I feel like we, we weren't alive during that time and we don't know, but I know that it was a time where the movie theaters were full of like war commentaries and like depressing movies, weird movies. And Star Wars was just refreshing. As I said before, it's, it was just all a combination of all these different things of like the world wanted this and it worked out somehow (laughs) perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're totally right. I think you can't really underestimate the time period that Star Wars came out in. And just like, like you said, it was a breath of fresh air and it was like, you needed something that wasn't going to make you feel sad because there was already enough of that in the world. But then I think you also really can't um, not talk about the what other people around George Lucas were doing, like especially Alan Ladd, um, who was like his representative at Fox, who basically was the one who, I guess, took the risk on George Lucas. And some of the foresight that he had into different marketing techniques are things that 
you know, we can't imagine not doing today. I mean, you know, coming out with the, you know, Alan Dean Forrester's novelization that came out, what was it? It was like two or three months before the movie released. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because you, well, like when you hear about Star Wars, when it first opened, it was like immediately it sold out. It wasn't, you know, like the first week it kind of gained some traction and then the next week it sold out. It was like day one it sold out. And there was something else going on there besides just like a movie poster. <laughs> right, right, right. It was um, all these different things working together. I mean, yeah. I mean, like there were so many other elements going in because like they had to – I mean, people already knew about this movie. People already knew about this story. And I think that's one of the weird things that I tend to forget about Star Wars. And I mean, since we're talking about Comic-Con, like Star Wars was one of the first movies to do any kind of promo at Comic-Con. Like – you talk about Star Wars inventing the game on so many different levels. It also invented the game of like blockbusters making an appearance at Comic Con, which I think is crazy. I mean, the um, the book, you know, the biography of George that we're reading for this series, it talks about how um, I think it was Vlad and then Mark Hamill did like an hour long panel at 1976 Star Wars Comic Con, like or San Diego Comic Con, like. <laughs> It's just great. Like, can you imagine being at a panel with Mark Campbell in 1976 talking about Star Wars? And yeah, a movie that out, wasn't even out yet out or anything. Yet. And being like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Like, maybe that'll be a weird, like, cult fiction movie. Exactly. Know? And I, I think that's, like, the best anyone was hoping for at that point mm-hmm. is that it would just gain this, like, really weird cult status. But alas – Yeah, and kind of, like, have this fandom that George's past movies had had, right? Like, Mm -hmm. THX, like, had its, like, film May followers. And then American Graffiti surprised a lot of people, had a lot of fans. Um, But it wasn't, like, a smashing, huge success. Like, it doesn't have, like, a huge footprint in our cultural, like, thought about films, right? It really doesn't in in the grand scheme of things. It's hard to find now. But what's weird is I think it – it was set to. Yeah. It should have. Because, yeah. I mean, they talk about how with American Graffiti, there was a total resurgence in that music, in that mm-hmm. era of music. Like, it, it really – like, that part of American Graffiti really changed what people were listening to in the 70s. But you're right. It hasn't – it hasn't had the life that I think – it probably well, it, should it just, have. It's not comparable to Star Wars in terms of fandom. Oh well, no, no, no. <laughs> and I feel like Definitely. it's it's like it's its success is like almost incomparable to Star Wars. It's it's unreal, right? Most I mean, Star Wars are. like changed everything. Exactly, exactly. So I mean, yeah. you you talk about the amount of pressure that George must have been on mm-hmm. under, and it's like especially after Star Wars and like making the sequels and what was he going to do next and. I, I I really can't imagine it at all. Or just even like the level of fame questions. I, I don't know. It's no. it's insane to me. It's really like a concept I cannot grasp. <laughs> it's, I mean, talk about the payoff after all of the problems that they faced on the set of Star Wars, just from the physical problems of things like sandstorms and, um, you know, then actors and props not working, all of that on a day-to-day and then to have the crazy success that it had. I mean, talk about an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, for real. But it's and but what's strange, and I said this on the last episode too, that George has just he's just always consistent. And I feel like none of that 
phased him. It wasn't it wasn't like, oh my God, Star Wars is so successful and so now I am successful. It was like Star Wars is successful, so now I can do the next film how I want to. Yeah. Yeah. And it was always like to me, I've always found something something so interesting about George making Star Wars, like how he was like, I want to show people that I can make a a blockbuster. And it, there wasn't even the term blockbuster yet, but I just wanted I he was like, I I want to make I want to prove that I can make a movie that everybody is going to love and it's going to have mm-hmm. all these weird elements and I'm going to make it's like this is the format I'm going to use and I'm going to prove it and it's going to make a lot of money and then I can do what I really want to do which is make weird films mm-hmm. and he did that and you're so right and it's like it's it's funny how he's not like oh my god I'm so successful now I'm going to move to Hollywood I'm going to get a mansion that was never George's MO it was I did this thing as a stepping block so that I could do the next thing and just the mm-hmm. next thing and the next thing but I think it really was so much bigger than he even imagined yeah i mean it's bigger than anyone could have imagined <laughs> too and what i loved about these kind of early years of star wars is George kind of setting him up for more successes down the line and not really even – I mean, I guess, like, George has always had good vision, but it's, like, there's no way he could have known that things would snowball the way they did. Like, in the contracts – so when George Lucas was writing these contracts with 20th Century Fox, um, things – the book talks about how um, things like sequel rights and merchandising rights were usually, like, throwaway – things in these types of contracts but George was so adamant that he had sequel rights and he had merchandising rights and everyone was like okay whatever um (laughs) but then those ended up being the most important things and like George would end up creating a whole separate company all for to deal with merchandising for Star Wars yeah, and, and it was it, like you hear about them shopping Star Wars around to these different toy companies like Hasbro and Mattel, and they all said no because they thought it was strange. Then you got Kenner who's like, all right, I'll do it. And <laughs> it like set them up for life pretty much. Yep, until they closed. But like, well, I mean, it, until that, but they had a pretty good run with it. It's business was like the core of it was Star Wars, and it was mm-hmm. all because of this. This like yeah. one gander that they took on, yeah. on this little movie. And it's just – it's so crazy. There's the, – the merchandising aspect, and it's something that you see throughout George's history and something that you see throughout Star Wars as well. And the merchandising just gets more and more important. Um, and it almost, like, filters through story, which is some – like, a debatable concept. We can talk about Ewoks, like, all day because of this. <laughs> but you can't deny that it has that sort of foresight and understanding the merchandising aspect of Star Wars, like – ensured its success and it's like it's longevity because Mm -hmm. there's yes it's it's a great movie it's awesome but the fact that you can't turn anywhere without seeing something star wars ish is (laughs) is all because of that one part of the contract that georgia would own that on own those rights yeah exactly um, what i What I think is – what I kept thinking about when I was reading through this part of the book was, do you remember when uh, Forces of Destiny first came out last year? Yeah. And all these angry people were like, why is it all just about selling dolls? Like this whole series is just to sell the toys. Like what is that about? It's like Star Wars has from literally before day one of filming has been concerned with merchandise. Right. Like it's It's never – It's a partnership. It's always been – it's like – 
merchandising and storytelling go hand in hand with Star Wars. Like they're holding hands, like skipping through a field of like money. <laughs> they it's, always it's, have been, and, and each of them support each other. And I fans get excited about merchandising, but they also get excited about story, and like they feed into each other. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not a Venn diagram. They're just it's just two circles on top of each other. <laughs> um. And I think – I mean, it just goes to show that I think whenever you talk to someone about Star Wars, whether they whether they were introduced to Star Wars as a kid in the 70s and 80s or in, like, the 90s and early 2000s, it's like, oh, I had this AT-AT. I had this Leia doll. I had this fill-in-the-blank. So it yeah. always goes back to toys. I feel like no matter what podcast you listen to, for I'd say probably at least half of people who tell their Star Wars story, it's like, oh, well, I remember my older brother had this toy, this, you know, this Lego set, whatever it is, and I played with it, and that's what first got me interested in Star Wars. Or I remember buying these toys for episode two. Like I was just listening to the Dorky Diva talk about Attack of the Clones. And Brian, it was like his hallmarks, like his best memories of these films are like some of the toys he played with in regards to them. And I think that that – I mean – it's always been an important part of Star Wars from the beginning, the very <laughs> beginning. Like George r- literally wrote it in stone. I shall be in charge of merchandising and it shall be a thing. <laughs> He's so brilliant. He it really is. is crazy. It's crazy. And so many, you know, franchises have tried to duplicate this, you know, insane toy or, you know, even do it the opposite way of like try to make a film spinoff from toys and it just it doesn't work the same way and yeah like I said like it's a partnership that you know supports each other because you have to have a good story to I, I don't know it all comes back together and it was it's that is the secret sauce really mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you yeah. can never turn anywhere without seeing something Star Wars and therefore you're always thinking about Star Wars and that's the success of this modern myth <laughs> wow very nicely done. I think, yeah, the, the the secret sauce is that in the beginning, George was literally just grabbing at anything he could hold on to to keep within his realm of control. Right. And the thing is that George has such good work ethic that he was going to make it work no matter what pieces he had. And he happened to grab the really best pieces. yeah what's funny is that he made those the really best pieces because they weren't originally like sequel rights you know you read people were like george why the heck are you worrying about the sequels like just get the first one made already like just worry about that and then worry about the sequels and he was like no now i want them written in now (laughs) you know it is so inspiring to me about how and I know a lot of people are like oh my god he's so controlling mm-hmm. as a control freak myself <laughs> it's as like it's friend so, of a control freak. control freak it is just like it's so inspiring to me to see this like level and attention to detail actually pay off in you know a creator mm-hmm. and, it, and it was like we talk about Dave Filoni playing the long game but George was also playing the long game and like that's something that like they both have in common and it's like it I I don't know. It's it's something that I can look at and read all about George's life and see all like the pitfalls that he has about being such a control freak and like actually like getting like depressed or 
you know, in over his head in certain situations. And it's like, I find that kind of stuff so extremely relatable um, as someone who like has a has a problem like relinquishing control and like, but also inspiring as someone who has a problem relinquishing control because <laughs> it's very clear that he had such a unified, clear vision. George is a visionary and watching him like charge forward and like reading about that is um, honestly really, really just, I, I don't have any other word besides inspiring. It's, it's mm-hmm. really cool. I think, you know, speaking of Dave Filoni, as I like to do, <laughs> well, this kind of touches on, I guess, George's foresight and kind of just, I don't know, just having, I wouldn't even, I don't even know if George would call it a hunch that he had about Star Wars. Just like, this is a film I'm making. I'm going to make it the best that I can. I, I don't like George is an enigma. Anyway, um, Dave was giving this interview today that was published by StarWars.com about um, the Clone Wars reboot. But And so he's obviously talking about the Clone Wars in this, but I think it applies really kind of across the board for George um, because George is consistent through the years. Um, and Dave said about – so the question was, what do you think it is 10 years later that made this show resonate so much with people and made them – and give it the strength to come back? And Dave said a little while, and he talks a little bit, and then he says, I think the stories left an indelible impression, and of course, George knew it would. He always knew. And I just think that last little bit is so applicable to our conversation here. Like, of course it was going to work. George knew it would. He never had doubts about it. I think he had problems in the process, but I don't think he had doubts. Right. Because it even talks about when he was getting ready to show the first um, – the fir- what not the first draft it's not a book the screening um, yeah the first screening before even all of the special before really any of the special effects were added in or even developed at that point he was just so excited to show people to it show it to people even though it was so far beyond what he envisioned for the film mm-hmm. i don't know i just he's very impressive <laughs> <laughs> So how is the theme – can we tie it back to Star Wars somehow? Um, how is the theme of success expressed in Star Wars, like in the story, in our characters? What does it look like? The Death Star blowing up? I mean, yeah, that's like the number one success, right? Yeah, is that- it's the box office exploding with money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, I think there's something really interesting you can draw. You know, Georgia always thought that – you know, the, the sequel would be the darker middle chapter. He, there's a couple of quotes about how the sequel has to be darker, has to be more um, deep, has to explore a lot of our characters in, in like the corners of their mind or something like that. I forget the direct quote. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there's something there about how the original Star Wars, A New Hope, ends in this like wonderful jubilation, the success um, of the explosion of the Death Star and an award ceremony and you're just so ecstatic by the end of the film. Um, but like this, you know, like George making the sequel, the sequel was also difficult to pull off and the it's not always easier just because you blew up the Death Star. It's not always easier because you made like a multi-million dollar blockbuster. Mm-hmm. You come back in Empire Strikes Back and you had this one success, but you have to go and do it again and you have to get up and do it again because you have the sequel rights but you and you have to defeat the Empire or something like that, right? I do think mm-hmm. that there's something there about how um, success doesn't necessarily mean 
it's all yeah it doesn't necessarily mean ease it's it's a choice and like something that you have to um sustain and like continue to drive for i guess so it's like he won the battle but not the war with the studios it was like he had this huge blockbuster that gave him the independence he wanted from the studios but now he had to do something with it yeah completely and i think that's like (laughs) that's star wars again and again because Mm -hmm. um I don't know. George is always trying to make the best product and, you know, produce the best story. Um, and I think, I, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like there's definitely something there about success. Um, it's not a major theme in Star Wars, I don't think, but I think you hit the nail on the head with the battle, not the war thing. <laughs> <laughs> always coming in hot with those metaphors. Right. <laughs> Bi weekly here at Sky Talkers. <laughs> okay. So, We haven't talked at all about Indiana Jones. Right. Indiana Jones is kind of its own beast um, because I can't – again, like just trying to picture George's life in this period of moving from the mammoth of Star Wars into the mammoth that is Indiana Jones. But he's got his best friend to do it with him. It's like us making a movie together. How's that going to (laughs) go? I mean, it'll be a struggle, but like we'll pull it off and it would be good. Yeah. I remember this. Um, do you remember? I guess it was like right after The Last Jedi that we did a poll about Ryan Johnson and Ram Bergman. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Like who out of the two of us was Ryan Johnson and who was Ram Bergman and you got Ram and I got Ryan. Okay, now out of us, who's George and who's Steven? Oh my God, I have no idea. I, I feel know. like. Do I want to be either? It seems like I don't a- know. That's a thing. It's yeah. like, I feel like you're you're burdened with like a lot of responsibility. Right. And I'm very Ryan happy being Ryan was like a fun, a fun situation. Like it's just like this one-off movie that's like really amazing and you okay, know, doing all these ex- different things. Except, except they're about to embark on like a whole trilogy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. And I, feel like, I feel like Ryan Johnson's like life on Twitter has kind of mirrored my own too, where like he just kind of like ignored the haters, but then he started finally responding back to them. And I feel like I do that sometimes too, where I try to ignore it for a while. And then like one tweet comes out at me and I'm like, Mm-mm, no. <laughs> and okay, I gotta so respond. In that way, because George also has like those, you know, fiery moments. I feel like you're George and potentially I'm Steven. Even though you just but went on I just a 10 minute like, talk I know, about that, how that, you're that's just like a part of this thing. I, I'm not saying I'm like George Lucas. I just relate to the whole control freak nature. So, like, maybe that's where I'm like George Lucas. But I'm definitely not a visionary like George. Let's- there's, a, there's a lot of weight for us to talk about which is who is who here. <laughs> like, let me – let me. all right. Let's pretend that, like, the podcast is Star Wars. Like, the podcast <laughs> is our movie. You're totally the George. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I'm the George. You're the, you're the Steven. I Got it. If you guys have disagreements <laughs> – let us know why you think that I'm George and Charlotte is Stephen. But like, if I'm thinking about like our podcast as a production, I definitely think that you're the George in this situation. I and I mean that in a good way. Like, like I'm having fun. You're having fun. We're enjoying it. Like, yeah, yeah. They both enjoyed it. We'll talk about this more. Their friendship in the independent section. We have some notes there. Um, but I I agree. I agree with that assessment. Okay, good. I still think it's like it's a it's a big heavy burden on my shoulders to be the George. <laughs> it's a big heavy burden to be Steven. Like, <laughs> like, I like how we're pretending that we have 
any kind of similarities to these like juggernauts of like film. I like, really understand anything about their person, like who they really are, because we don't. And I, I said this in the last episode. It's like we're taking these like historical things, you know, that we read about in a book and watch in a documentary, and we're extrapolating from them and trying to relate them to Star Wars. But of mm-hmm. course, we don't know these people. And we're probably wrong about some of these Charlotte things. Charlotte and I, but. Charlotte and I, from the beginning of our Star Wars life, Charlotte and I have always had like crazy head cannons about like people involved Maybe in Star Wars more and their so than characters. Honestly, yes, like their personalities, who they get along with. Like Charlotte and I have like basically like a whole flow chart of like the directors and how they feel about each other. <laughs> like, yeah, and like I've I've noticed on other podcasts when people refer to George Lucas, they'll they'll call him Lucas. Kayla and I never called George Lucas. It even feels weird to say out of my mouth. Like, I've never called George Lucas. No. It's George. It's always George. Don't you remember in middle school, we had this whole thing where, like, oh, we're on a first name basis. (laughs) We always referred to the actors and the the creators by their first names because we were like, we just know them so well. Hayden, Mark, George. Yep friends we love them nothing has changed really Look, nothing has changed in I'm fact sure. we named the series by george it's not by george lucas it's just by george it's not lucas anything it's george this, this title just keeps getting better and better and closer to like our aesthetic as a podcast and as friends seriously wow okay but let's go back to indiana jones right good indiana tangent. jones is such a success because it is such a f- amazing collaboration and I think it feels so different because it's not completely steeped in lore like Star Wars is. It's not Star there's something about Star Wars that while it's like this like fun space romp, like it's heavy. Star Wars is, you know, you can look deeper into it. I think there's obviously elements of Indiana Jones that you can definitely look deeply into and it's like a, the historical connections and how George like arrived at those um decisions are really interesting. But it's not the same as Star Wars. But I do think that that's part like of why it was so successful was that it didn't really take itself extremely seriously, but it also handled its concepts with like reverence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you mean, know? it really was kind of the best of both worlds for Indiana Jones to have both Steven and George working on it. And I feel like a lot of people forget that Indiana Jones was George's idea. Yeah. I feel and- it's always like Steven Spielberg, Indiana Jones. Like, well, George thought of it. I know. And and it was Steven who, like, lobbied to get his hands on it. Mm-hmm. And George yeah. at this point, which is – this is I, mean, I was going to talk about this in the next section, but it's okay. We can talk about it now. You know, George, I think it took, like, an incredible amount of – um. there's really something there about how close his friendship was with Steven for him to be like, okay, it's yours. Like we can work on it together. I can support you in this. Mm -hmm. You can direct it. Well, they, they talk about how Steven, how George didn't want Steven working on star Wars. Yeah. (laughs) um, Specifically, which I think is so funny because um, thinking about like, obviously Indiana Jones had stressful production, um, not quite as intense, I think, as Star Wars was for George Lucas. And I think in part because he had, you know, one of his best friends there doing it with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was someone who he knew, even if he didn't agree with all the decisions or choices, perhaps, someone that he knew was invested 100% in the project. Yeah. 
And I, I think that maybe that, I don't know, I feel like that probably meant a lot to him. And then Indiana Jones too, it was like, I really want to work with Steven. I don't want Steven to work on Star Wars. Let's work on Indiana Jones together. Yeah. <laughs> it's It was like the option B. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but before we move into part two, because we've been in part one for quite a while, um, I just wanted to share this little tidbit about success. Um, a with George, not with George. He's not here, unfortunately. Um, but by George. <laughs> uh, one of the things that George, that a lot of people have talked about throughout this book is that with all of his projects, not just Star Wars, George gave away um, points, like shares of the film and its um, profits to like the actors and some of the different creators and stuff like that. And it was his way of like giving back to them. And it was like he did that with American Graffiti too about um, once it became a lot more successful, like his way of showing thanks was by giving out shares of the film to these Mm -hmm. different actors. And it's like you hear about the bet between Steven and George about between like Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Star Wars and like how Steven Spielberg has made like $40 million off of Star Wars (laughs) from this bet. But like a lot of people have shares in Star Wars like – Steven Spielberg does like Mark Carey Harrison they all do um, a lot of the production team does as well and Ali Guinness had I think like half a point at one point like I don't know I think it was cool that like even though George had all of this success he shared it with the people who helped him get there um, in more ways than just a paycheck like it was on top of a paycheck right totally that's a good tidbit <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I thought it was like a nice little high point to end part one on. Totally. Okay, let's move on to part two. George. No one uh, loves getting older, George. But when you leave behind a legacy of imagination that has actually changed our culture for the better and for generations to come, we can only look forward to your future with enthusiasm wonder and gratitude for keeping the child inside all of us from growing old. You have done more for the collective consciousness of this planet than you will ever know or ever really need to know. Because what I'm saying is, all we want to say is keep on doing what you're doing and the world will continue to thank you. Part two, independence. So in the last episode, we talked about freedom. And I know that we had struggled a little bit about whether we should do freedom or independence and then ultimately landed on doing both because I think they're actually, they mean a little bit of different things. Um, So in all this time in this historical period, George was so set on being free from studios, but ultimately he could never really escape like the machine that is the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did George establish independence in his life? And did he really ever? I think, and first I think that I think there is a bit of difference between freedom and independence, especially in these periods of George's life. Freedom is almost like the process of escaping. It's like mm-hmm. that goal And then independence, I feel like, is more the reality of living with that freedom. Like, you're independent, but there's responsibilities that come with that. Like, Mm -hmm. the freedom is really representative of George's life in film school because it's him breaking out of the expectations of his father, you know, leaving Modesto. Um, He's got the film Freyheit that's 
freedom in German, but then (laughs) it's, it literally means freedom, but then independence, he's, he's gotten the success. He's out of Modesto, but he has these other kinds of responsibilities in order to make sure that he maintains that independence and doesn't have to go through that process of freedom again. And Star Wars, the first, you know, A New Hope, kind of I think is like the the end of that process of freedom. Um, you know, writing all of those contracts, doing um, actually having to go through the trouble of making the damn thing, like right, <laughs> all of that in order to get his independence, to get the kind of success that he needed to make the films that he wanted and to make them the way that he wanted to. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I think. You know, just a little personal note, the concept of independence has always been really, like, formative to Caitlin and I's friendship. Like, I remember this point when we went to the movies, and it was like, we were young, we were in middle school, and our parents had dropped us off at the movie theater, and we had gone to a restaurant by ourselves and paid by ourselves and everything, and we had talked about how, like, amazing it was to be independent. And Mm -hmm. I think that you touched on that just now and what you said about how like there's this responsibility that comes with the concept of independence. And that's something that we still didn't really understand when we were young. And now it's like (laughs) we're adults and we're older and we live alone. And um, there is that like element of responsibility that comes with independence. Yes, you're free. Yes, you're free to do what you want. But when you're alone, you have like something on your shoulders always. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in the same, but you're still like, you're, you're free from the constraints of I, George was free from, you know, his parents like looking down upon his like arty needs. Right. He's, mm-hmm. he's free from that now, but he, it, it is important for him to be independent in creating his, I don't know his I don't know if I'm even making sense I just I feel like it it, it, George making his own movies is the ultimate sign of independence I guess I don't know Yeah. well it's kind of like going back to what you were saying about us as kids like Charlotte and I when we would do stuff throughout middle and high school we always talked about it in like levels of independence. It was like, okay, how independent are we being right now? Literally, we would have this conversation of how independent are we being right now? And that what you talked about going to the movies for the first time by yourself, that was always like our baseline. And mm-hmm. then it was like zero. It was it was zero. <laughs> like Charlotte's mom was like in the parking lot across the street, like waiting for us. Like, I don't know. <laughs> um, but we always talked about it in like levels of independence. And um, I remember it was like leveling up from um, getting to walk around Disney World by ourselves without our parents there to like our parents dropping us off at Disney World for the day. Mm-hmm. And like that was a level up. And I think that that's kind of what you're talking about here with George. It was like he was leveling up to new levels of freedom and independence. You know, level one was Modesto. Level two was film school. Level three is the film studios. Um, right. But you're like, and then like you said, like we're here, like our our like climax for independence was when we went to Iceland by ourselves, and we yeah. planned that entire trip ourselves. We named the trip Independent Iceland. Like this is a thing in our lives. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really big deal in our lives. I, I know it sounds a little stupid, <laughs> it's, but, but like it, it is like we're very cognizant of us growing up. Really, yeah, yeah, and that was how we did it. And like, but with our Iceland trip, in hashtag Independent Iceland. That's how it's written in my travel journal. Like, um, it was like this great moment of being able to do whatever we wanted in Iceland. But 
like, hey, you're responsible for the car rental. You got to get to the plane. You got to have directions. And it was like all these other things that while we were still independent, they were stipulations, there were restrictions, there were boundaries, um, but we made the boundaries. And I think yep. that that's – oh, my God. Our lives are parallel to George Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, and I think that that's what George is doing here. He was leveling up in independence, but there comes baggage and responsibility with that. And I and I think I think probably for George, like some of that was really welcome and some of that was like, I don't know if I want this, honestly. Because George always talks about like how difficult the actual filming process is for him. He's not an actor's director. He's not a writer. Um, like those parts are really difficult for him and he doesn't enjoy them as much as the other parts of filmmaking. I think that goes back to what we were talking about with Steven and him handing over basically the reins to Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. It was like him kind of understanding. And yes, there's a lot of different, you know, things that kind of led to that, as you mentioned, but it was him understanding that like maybe there could be a good product in this partnership. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he is like tied down to certain things. You know, he's making this with his friend, mm -hmm. you know, um, I think there's something like really interesting about the concept of independence within star Wars as a myth. Um, I think uh, we talk about a lot about, especially in the last episode about Luke um, leaving Tatooine and having that, that moment of realization that, you know, he had to move on that like point of trauma. Um, and I think that really was Luke's moment of understanding his own independence mm -hmm. and also realizing that he has something on his shoulders. He, he was leveling up. And um, I think it's, it's very easy to compare George Lucas to Luke, but um, I think this is a moment where you definitely can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that it's interesting because in a new hope that independence was kind of, I would almost say that like A New Hope was Luke's freedom moment. Yeah. Yeah. And then you start getting into Empire and Return of the Jedi and that's his independence levels. Mm -hmm. um, because he makes a decision in Empire Strikes Back to leave uh, – I want to say Tatooine. Um, Dagobah. Dagobah. Thank you. <laughs> he makes the decision to leave Dagobah. Like he, he makes that choice um, of his own autonomy. It's not – like Owen and, and Baru dying, that was kind of forced upon him, mm -hmm. um, that freedom. Even though he wanted it, that's certainly not how he wanted it. Um, whereas in Empire, he's he's calling a little bit more of the shots, and they're not the they're not the smartest shots. Like he's still level one of independence, but once we get yeah. to Return of the Jedi, like he's he's pretty much leveled up. Um, and the nice thing about levels, which I think is important for the Last Jedi, of course, is that you can fall down. <laughs> you can. Mm -hmm regress in levels <laughs> <laughs> yes and i i don't know that goes back to the theme of choices as well um and like autonomy yeah um but i do what does anita jones really say about in independence i think that's harder because for me like, we're both big Indiana Jones fans but i don't think about Indiana Jones the way that i think about star wars um, even when I'm thinking a lot about Indiana Jones, I don't think about it in the like mythological hero's journey kind of way that I think about Star Wars because Indiana Jones just like happens on the screen and he's already like he's already established. Yeah, it's it's almost like a like a best case scenario. 
for the yeah. future for George. It's like, you, like if you're going to make this link between the two of them and like this is very loose and just me spitballing here, but it's like Indiana Jones, no matter what problems he encounters, like he always comes out on top. Right. And maybe perhaps like that's how George would like his life to be too. Like these production problems that come up, he just like bounces through them and he gets hit a couple times, but he jumps back up. Yeah. I would say that Indiana Jones as a character is a pretty independent guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, literally. Yes. He's yeah. very independent. Yeah. I think that if if you were to apply that theme anywhere, it's probably to the character of Indiana Jones. I mm-hmm. mean, just because you're an independent person doesn't mean you don't care about the people around you. Um, yeah. In every single um, film that Indiana – every single Indiana Jones film, you kind of are presented with that um, – he wants to do things himself and he has someone else that he usually has to care for or he should care about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, but I, I think that's basically where the theme goes, but it doesn't really have like this overarching mythological, you know, sense like Star Wars does. Yeah. And I think that's the problem with comparing all these different films is because Star Wars is so, you know, enriched in these themes and, you can basically go any direction with Star Wars. That's what makes it so great. Is like mm-hmm. it's like a blank slate slate for like discussing all these different, you know, conflicts and you know journeys. Um, but I don't think Indiana Jones is necessarily that way, and that doesn't make it mean that it's like not a deep film because I think it is. I think it's yeah. a great film. It's perfect, but um, yeah. I just I forget what quote it is in the book, but it's some interview with Steven Spielberg, and I think he's talking about one of his films and like how successful it is. And they're like, I don't think the interviewer like really realized how close his association was to George Lucas. He's like, well, you know, it's not quite as as um, successful as as Star Wars. And the quote is like that Steven is just kind of snidely like, well, it isn't Star Wars. <laughs> 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 of course, it's not Star Wars. <laughs> I always wonder if there's like that. I, I think there's a healthy competition between them, but I do wonder, like in the back of his brain, if he's just like, nothing will ever be Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like everyone's like that, right? I think everyone oh, is chasing yeah. Star Wars. The um the thing that always bothers me about Steven Spielberg, and it's not even Steven Spielberg himself. It's um our movie theater back home, our AMC. You know how it's got all of the directors and like all on, on the walls. Yeah. There's not – like, George Lucas isn't on the wall. And Steven is. And the and what they have, like, the movie they have listed for Steven is Indiana Jones. And it makes me so mad. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I see it, I'm like, why do you get on the wall, Steven, and not George? Like, you both did Indiana. Maybe we have a really small AMC and maybe there's a George Lucas one. But I'm actually thinking about the fact that I have an AMC close to me in Boston and it also is like the same theme and there isn't a George there. Yeah. And it's I can see I can see the picture of Steven that's like up on this wall. It's like him in a director's chair, like right in front of a camera. I can see it perfectly in my head. It's like you come out of theater eight and there it is. <laughs> theater eight. It's so true. Theater eight, theater eight is where we see Star Wars. <laughs> yes, it is. In standard. Yeah, when we when we do standard <laughs> Okay. We talk so much about our lives this <laughs> We're trying to relate so hard to George. Okay, so the other thing about this section of the By George series, and I, maybe I talked about this before, but, like, this part of the series, 
is what we talk about in general. In Like, when we talk about Star Wars history, this is what we talk about. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's hard to condense it to like a, you know, an hour long program when we've been talking about this on our show forever. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not George Lucas's biographer. So it's, it's, it's a lot, you know? We're just like, so that's why we're talking about ourselves. We're the young female versions of George and Steven. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. People are going to think we have like the biggest head when really we don't. We're just like quiet nerd girls who have a podcast like quietly. (laughs) (laughs) that's the truth yep yeah that's the truth we would like to be the young female versions of george and steven but we are not um pipe dreams man pipe dreams (laughs) yeah i think it i think it is so hard to talk about this period in george's life because like like you said this is what people talk about it's like oh the production was so awful and like no one faster more intense that's all they said to us faster more intense like that's that's the stories you hear you've heard them like trotted out at every panel every celebration every interview oh no no one knew it was gonna be a big deal you know (laughs) yeah we've all heard this story before um I always I if you guys have never watched the Carrie Fisher's speech for George Lucas when he received his American Lifetime Achievement Lifetime Achievement Award, it's to die for. It's, it's from amazing. like it's from like two thousand two something like that. Two thousand six. Okay, I watching it on TV. Thank you. It's it might from- be two thousand five. Honestly, like it was right after Revenge of the Sith, and I think that was like why they decided to give it to George because it, it was like the he culmination like of the saga. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, it's really funny um, because Carrie just takes all these hits at George and then also at all these questions she's been asked for at that time, like 25 years, um, 30 years, which I think is just hilarious. Then I remember at one point, I used to know this interview, this speech verbatim. I watched it so much. Um, but at one point she says, you know, everyone always asks us, did we know? Yes. We all knew. We all knew. Everyone knew except for George because we wanted to see what would happen when his face changed expressions. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I thought it was hilarious. And uh, it's just funny because no one knew. Everyone thought it was ridiculous. But we've all heard this. You know, that's what makes a blockbuster a blockbuster. Um, Something like Star Wars, which was the first blockbuster. But it's lightning in a bottle. And it's once in a lifetime. And it's not it's not going to happen again until, like, we're very old. Well, he, that's the crazy thing, though, is that, like, Star Wars, yes, it was lightning in a bottle, but it wasn't a one-hit wonder at all. Like, it was – yes. I think some people would argue that because it just, like, it just is successful on nostalgia's worth. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I see that. But if that were true, it would definitely make a lot less money than it is now. Yeah. Like, I, I think, think that it would true. make like a cult amount of money rather than, you know, this huge juggernaut. Um, that it is. That it is. Yeah. yeah. And like continue through generations, through generations. And yes, part of that is nostalgia, but that's also because Star Wars literally keeps reinventing itself and presenting mm-hmm. like each generation with a different type of story that they too can relate to. And I think that, yes, 1977 was lightning in a bottle, but what's astounding is that Star Wars is able to keep that model going continuously, even if the prequels are less successful in terms of critics, even if, you know, there was a 25-year break between the films, like, even 
all of these things. Like it doesn't matter. Star Wars is able to, you know, continue this like innovation and have all these things working for it that made the 1977 successful and then introduce new things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's something that we have always been fascinated with about Star Wars is that it's not just the movie, it's the culture. Mm-hmm. And like you can't live – I think about this a lot. Like what's going to be the next Star Wars? Like nothing really has changed cinema both from an on-film standpoint and like a culture consumption standpoint like Star Wars has since. And it's like we can't live in a world without Star Wars anymore. Like we're already in this world. So what's going to top it next? What's that going to look like? And I think – I feel like maybe at the time, like, Avatar could have been that. Yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah, but it never, like, it didn't continue. Avatar just kind of had, like, this full stop after it, and it mm-hmm. didn't, like, but but at the same time, it's, like, it's not like Avatar, but I don't know. I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm backtracking its, because... It's got its village on Disney World, Pandora. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, it, I, I was going to say it's not, like... Avatar introduced this like amazing mythological world, but at the same time, it Star Wars maybe in 1977, the original Star Wars maybe didn't in the same way that we look at it now. So no, I, don't I don't think know. so. Yeah, yeah. It's like it could it could have been, but yeah, it wasn't. But then it's like you also forget that like everything because Avatar, like Star Wars, was so monumental and so like blew people's minds because of its story and the technology that was used, just like Star Wars. But all of that, like CG work, motion capture, prequels, baby, digital filmmaking, George Lucas, Jar Jar Banks, coming at ya. Stay tuned for the next episode where we will be sure to talk about that because we have a lot to say. (laughs) But but I just I think that it's yes, you can compare it, but Star Wars stands so alone in the fact that I think that it can never be fully duplicated Mm -hmm. except only by itself. It is its own thing. Yeah, and. And we say it all the time, like it is truly our modern mythology and we will never live in a time where there isn't Star Wars. And maybe that means there's no, there's going to never not going to be like new Star Wars stories. But I think that in the same way, like I think you can really even compare it to like the Iliad or something like that because everyone knows it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think when people, especially... I think in like the next 50 or 60 years when people look back at the development of film and culture, like Star Wars will be a chapter. Um, it has to be. Yep. Um, even Definitely. if even if like the company is defunct and no one watches it anymore, it'll still be a chapter because it set all of these other things in motion down the line. Um, just like, you know, the first short film did back in like the first silent film um what's the what's the short film it's called like the it's called like trip to the moon or something like that yeah it is trip to the moon is it yeah it's like that film who is it yeah i know what you're talking about yeah and that film has a place because it was like one of the first to do any kind of special effects and it's the top of a chapter in film history and in cultural history and then star wars is going to be its own chapter too Yep. And I'm Definitely. I I can't I'm I'm interested to see what the next chapter is. Um and I wonder if we'll see that in our lifetime like the next paradigm shift in filmmaking. I think we will just in the how fast it's moving, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um anyway, I think that this is a really good segue to move on to oversaturation. Mhm. 
Hello, I'm Leonard Maltin. Star Wars may have started out as a mere movie, but it became a phenomenon. It changed the way movies were made and perceived and marketed. It ushered in a new era of science fiction and fantasy and developed a whole new vocabulary of visual special effects. And the man who created the film, who imagined it and then realized it, is here with us today to share some of his memories, George Lucas. George, if I asked you to sum up your feelings today, looking back at the whole Star Wars experience, if I asked you to sum that up in one word, what word first comes to mind? If there's anything the Star Wars experience has been for me, it's unpredictable. You know, not only in the making of the movies and, and in creating the stories in the first place, which is the fun of it, is because you don't know where it's going to go, and the making of them were a huge adventure. But um, the success and all the stuff that's come after it and everything is just, you know, you have no idea what's going to happen next. Part three, oversaturation. So all good things must come to an end. <laughs> and uh, I think George Lucas, George, was definitely burnt out uh, at this period in his life. He was going through a lot of personal hardships. And uh, I think it's kind of like that don't judge a book by its cover thing, that just because you have all of these successes built up, um, both like monetary and just like critical successes. That doesn't mean everything is right in your life. And obviously George went through a divorce, um, which was not easy on him. And then he made Captain EO. <laughs> well, he didn't necessarily make Captain EO, right? Well, he is tied to Captain EO. He wrote Captain EO. Captain EO is one of those things. And okay, for those who don't know, oh, Captain boy. EO – Opened in I oh man I don't remember the it year was I gotta look it up. 1986. 1986 in Epcot and in Disneyland. It is a movie. It's a short movie. It's 17 minutes. Um, that's basically a long form music video with Michael Jackson. Um, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, and had like all <laughs> these. It's it's crazy. Like the fact that 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 sentence exists. And um produced and written by George Lucas. And I think it is so fascinating because I'm not a fan of Captain Neo. Like it I don't think it's good. I know people like are ride or die Captain Neo fans. And I think a lot of that is tied up in nostalgia and watching it in the theater in Disneyland in this like amazing like 3D theater, right? Um but it is this example of George getting involved in a project that had so many different creators and he kind of he took a back seat in it and it was like it's it's the prime example of George like attaching his name to something but not really giving it his all and i think that it is really interesting because in this point in life like he has wrapped up um the star wars trilogy and he was beginning to like try other films and working and he was excited to work again with Francis Ford Coppola, his friend. But there's just so many different moving parts in this that it just it didn't work. Mm -hmm. It just didn't work for him. And yeah, it's it's really it's a it's a fascinating one. It's uh it's on our Sky Talkers playlist if you want to go watch it for yourself. Um but I, I hadn't seen this until two days ago, Captain EO. Quite the experience, let me tell you. And I think when I read that it was – when I realized that it was directed by Francis Ford Coppola, I was like, all right, all bets are off. 
George Lucas, <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola, Michael Jackson. Like one of these does not belong. Actually, none of them belong all together. Like it just, <laughs> it just, uh, it's so weird. And uh, there are all these aliens. There's a lot of knockoff Star Wars in it that I. I wonder how George felt about it. I, I'm sure when he saw it, finally, he was like, I, there's nothing I can do. It's already done. Right. <laughs> and they, and there's also this video that's on the playlist, too, that Charlotte sent me. That's basically a, a YouTube channel that talks about rides that are no longer at theme parks, right? Yeah. And kind of the history behind them. And so they're talking – yeah. And so they're talking about Captain EO. And the narrator in the video is like, so you would you would think that – there are already enough like top-notch voices in the production of Captain EO between Francis, George, and Michael. Um, but no, and then he goes on to list that like the choreographer, the makeup artist, the special effects team, the um the yeah, music, they're all big name people. They were all like Oscar winners, they were all at the top of their game, they were all like basically household names. And you just you see all of these people coming together and you're like, that's not good. <laughs> that just <laughs> cannot that's oversaturation of brilliant people and things just go awry in those kinds of situations and uh i think captain eo went a little awry (laughs) i just think it's a really interesting metaphor for you know george's george's life in this period um i mean obviously it's hard. It's it's like not. It's kind of tragic to compare George's life <laughs> to Captain EO, but I do think that it's like it's a really interesting glimpse in the fact that George was like so burnt out of basically filmmaking that this happened and he, this this he attached himself to this project. And mm-hmm. I know that it created a rift between him and his friend Francis Ford Coppola, who you know we didn't really. We didn't really talk about this in the our first episode, but George and Francis like formed their own like production company together. It didn't really do well because of THX one one three eight's not box office success. It was called American Zoetrope and failure. It was basically <laughs> the words we're looking for is failure. <laughs> you know, it's it's a failure, but like I don't think it necessarily is. As like nothing is really a failure, right? Like mm-hmm. yeah, well, I think yeah, you learn from it. Yeah, and I think that it's what's really interesting is that American Zoetrope, this production company that like was in San Francisco and like this really arty area, um, was basically a model for what George had always imagined what eventually became Skywalker Ranch. And obviously mm-hmm. it was way toned down. It was like definitely less arty and Skywalker Ranch is not like American Zoetrope. No. But it was this idea of like free filmmaking and sharing your ideas like communally and living in this one space together and it's a very hippy dippy idea yes but um i think there's there is something there about george's friendship uh with francis that definitely influenced star wars and Mm. um how star wars films are made even today definitely well i mean because george lucas was kind of francis assistant for yes yeah on finnegan's rainbow Mm -hmm. and that was one of george's like first uh shadow projects on a uh studio yeah and george was the one who convinced francis to make the godfather which (laughs) francis did not enjoy the process of making the godfather either um but what i think is their relationship is so interesting i think because it's not the very like symbiotic relationship that George and Stephen have, I think, because George and Francis, it was like they were always butting heads. And I read this quote by Francis either online or, or in the biography we're reading 
about he was like, well, you know, an assistant with a with opinions is never a good thing. But it was kind <laughs> of like half jesting because a lot of George's opinions he really liked, but also like George is very controlling. George has his own visions about how things should work. And there was a really big rift created between them with THX 1138 because um, Francis didn't, to put it short, a long story short, like Francis didn't stand up for THX 1138 um, when the studios were trying to like change the film and not market it the way that George wanted it marketed and like all this thing, all this stuff. And, And Francis just kind of handed it over without a fight. And that was always – George always saw that as a big problem. But with American Graffiti, Francis, like, really stepped up to bat because the the studios hated American Graffiti when they first saw it. And Francis got into such a fight with one of the guys from – what was it? Was it Universal? I think so, yeah. I think it was Universal. Francis got into such a big fight with one of the guys from Universal that they didn't talk for 20 years. <laughs> it's like – the, the fights in these studios are, like, insane to me. They're so intense. They're so intense. Yeah. And, and so I think – and these men. It really is. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> yeah. But, but it was always – like, George, I feel like, was always very cognizant that, like, Francis probably shouldn't be someone that he should work with on a film. Mm-hmm. That their relationship was better suited as – like outside of the of the cameras and the production. Um, like it's better to talk about the films they're working on rather than working on a film together. And so I think he was really – it was like, oh, like we're now far past – like we both had our crazy successes and that's – that part of our life is behind us and now we can work on this thing together. But at the same time, like George was working – was developing Star Tours at this point. Mm-hmm. which was also its own mammoth. <laughs> yes. Um, and so, like you said, he really did take a backseat to Captain EO, and it, and it really was – I don't know. Captain EO is like – it should have been amazing, but it wasn't because it was just too much of a good thing. And it was like this period of George's life really was just oversaturation of success and problems and challenges and um, – like money and like doing really great things in the film industry, but then also having really hard personal challenges and personal problems and like his personal relationships and things like that. And I think it like, it's almost like it all came to a head in Captain EO. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Which is weird. <laughs> I know. It's so weird. It's so strange. It's just, it really makes me sad. Like when you read about even Return of the Jedi, which was like 1982 or 1981 when they filmed that, I, that was the point where George was like really breaking almost mm-hmm. in, in his personal life. And he had hired Richard Marquand after like a couple of directors had like filtered through. Um, and he hired him basically because Richard would do anything that George said. Yeah. And it was like George could take a like a theoretical backseat here and not direct it. Not direct Return of the Jedi, but at the same time, you know, there are reports of George, like, hanging over Richard's shoulder. Like, the movie was directed by George Lucas. Like, the reason why you don't really hear about Richard Marquand a lot, like, there's a lot of reasons because of that. But it's not – it's because he wasn't, like, a super prolific director with his own stamp. It's because George was, like, right over his shoulder. Like, four years after Return of the Jedi. (laughs) 
Exactly. But do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it was, I know what you mean. But <laughs> George was like over involved. He overextended himself. And it was mm-hmm. the point by the end of that film, by the time of Captain EO, he was like, I'm not making any more Star Wars movies. Maybe I'll do the prequels, but they're going to be weird and you guys aren't ready for them. And it's going to be years before I do them. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing. The one thing I really love, you know, because you you read about these mo- these times in George's life and how the actual process of filmmaking he doesn't enjoy. It's very difficult for him. He doesn't like being away from family. Um, that was always an issue with his first wife, Marsha. He didn't like being away from her. Um, and he didn't mm-hmm. like her being away from him to work on her editing projects too. Um, and when I've read about these things in the past, I've always thought, why the heck did he keep doing it? Because you read about how hard Star Wars was, and I'm like, I don't think I would do it. I would just it's, let Fox do it. <laughs> it's it's crazy, right? It's like he ends up in the hospital like multiple times from, from exhaustion. exhaustion, and it's it's it really was like I think that it's you know you have jokes like Carrie Fisher saying we want to see him change expression, and it's George was so hard to read, is so hard to read, and. But I do think he loves it. Mm-hmm. He loves making movies. He has such a passion for it. And that's why he's making a, a, a museum in Los Angeles of narrative art because he wants to share how passionate he is about filmmaking, about art, about everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that he couldn't not. Yeah. Well, there's this um, quote in the book that I just want to read. And maybe it's a good place to stop because um, I think it's just – because I think in the, in this period, it's it's almost easy to go out on a downer because George does kind of not fade away, but he takes a break. He steps back from the limelight um, mm-hmm. because of, there were a lot of problems going on and because the process – And he was raising kids. Yeah, raising yeah, kids. yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but I really – when I read this, I was like, oh, that makes me happy to read this. Um, so it, the this is in the biography um, by Brian and it's talking about right after Star Wars came out and George getting ready for Empire Strikes Back. And it says, Lucas blanched at the idea of anyone other than himself controlling the Star Wars sequels. The truth of it is, he said, I got captivated by the thing. It's in me now. So Lucas was going to make his sequel. Starting a family would have to wait again. And I just love that idea that like there was a period in his life that Star Wars captivated George. And I think that that captivation probably ebbed and flowed throughout the years. Um, And at the end of this period in his life, it was flowing away. (laughs) Um, But I love the idea that that Star Wars captivated him just like it captivated us. Like that word choice, I really latched on to. I'm with you. Okay, so I think that's a good place to stop, right? Um, Like you said. So next time, we're going to be talking about the prequels, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, and Strange Magic. I know. I'm so excited. (laughs) And I thank you for bearing with us for this episode. I know that there was a lot to get through. And obviously, this won't be the last time that we talk. We didn't even talk about Marsha Lucas and how informative she was into the Star Wars experience. And hopefully, maybe someday we'll do a whole episode about Marsha because I think it's so worth it. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Every time I say that, I want to say that too. (laughs) (laughs) And I did it. I did it. I couldn't stop. Yeah. She's very important. She was George Lucas's first wife. She edited all of Star Wars and a lot of other films. Um, Had a very close working relationship with Martin Scorsese, actually. Yep. That sounds sketchy, but I just mean she worked on a lot of his movies. (laughs) 
Yeah. And I think that, like, just as a note, the way Star Wars looks and the way it's cut and the editing was George's passion. And it's something that he has loved forever. But he handed over the reins to Marsha um, for Star Wars because he was really in over his head. And the reason why Star Wars looks the way it does is because of Marsha. And we have her to thank for that. And I think there's something awesome about having a woman's vision really behind, you know, a a film is like all these different fragments Mm -hmm. um, from someone's camera until it's all pieced together. And you don't really know how it's going to flow. And you make these decisions. And Marsha was so good about like telling George that he needed this emotional beat here. Like people aren't going to understand. Mm -hmm. You need to go back and reshoot this. Or maybe you should move this here so that people, it's, it's a little bit more like, emotionally meaningful and we have Marsha to thank for that and I'm I'm really thankful for her and that's that's my Marsha waxing poetic at the end of this episode that's good I I agree I I love the part where she told George about Star Wars she said if they don't cheer when Han Solo shows up at the end then it's we didn't do our job we didn't yeah we didn't do our job right yeah and everyone cheered yeah we're still cheering we're still cheering (laughs) (laughs) all right well that is going to wrap up our episode for this week i hope you guys enjoy enjoyed enjoyed (laughs) oh my god i hope you all enjoyed our by george uh part two episode um You can head over to our YouTube page where we have a playlist of different interviews and clips from his early films as well as um, some stuff from Star Wars and Indiana Jones and Captain EO is over there too. Uh, (laughs) And we'll be updating that through next week. And next week is going to be part three, the end of our By George series. Um, But number one, tell us what you think about Clone Wars coming back. Tell us what you think of Captain EO and uh, is Charlotte George and MI Steven or something else. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at SkyTalkersPod or our personal Twitters. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. And also, if you want to head on over to iTunes to subscribe to us to get all of our episodes, um, as well as leave us a five-star review, it really does help our show out. We are so close to 100 reviews, I just want to say. And if this episode is out and we have crossed over into 100 reviews... I really can't say how much that means to us. Mm-hmm. And not only does it, you know, make us so happy that you guys, a hundred of you have liked the show enough to review us, but it really does help us when people search Star Wars and they want to listen to a podcast and um, it helps us to come up on the, the, those initial lists. And for a while we didn't and now we do and it's because of you guys. So thank you guys so much. And I want to thank our amazing patrons. Amy, Neil, Joanna, Terry, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Rachel, Courtney, Brian, Susanna, Megan, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Suara, BJ, Stuart, Kyle, Jennifer, Danny, Ross, Kels, Chastity, Aliyah, Sarah, Travis, Katie, Daniela, Alyssa, Rebecca, Andy, Delaney, Angela, Ali, Natalia, Daz, Lauren, Serene, Shireen, Matt, Molly, Chell, Aaron, Tom, Edith, Adam, Derek, Connie, Robbie, Kirsty, Brandon, and Chuck. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. It means the world. Yes, thank you guys so much. And we look forward to seeing you next week. And um, like Charlotte said, thank you so much for helping us get to 100 reviews. It's I really, I don't know. A hundred, that's a lot. And uh, (laughs) they mean the world to us. So thank you guys so much. Um, And until next time, may the force be with you. Bye.
May the force be with you.